Welcome to the Wisdom of Madness with Rasuli and Jesh Darox. Two friends from different worlds discuss the beauty and mystery of creativity. What makes us create? We create because we get excited about something and we want to move towards that, that thing that has excited us. If there's nothing to excite us, we don't create. Just like love, something is going to call for us in order to go towards it. That calling, which is in total unknown, if it's in our known world, it's a repetition. So it does not lead into creativity. Remember that. If your calling is from something that is recognizable to you, does not lead you into creative process. The calling has to be mysterious. The calling has to be a call for something that you have no idea what it is. A call of love, a call for love, not about, okay, step one, step two, step three, because you've already done it. The first thing that makes us move is desire. Desire in Latin is like the star to get out of the center of you. So the first thing is desire. If there is no desire, there is no movement. And if there is no movement, it ends up to depression. So desire pulls us forward. As we get pulled forward, we want to express our desire in some means that becomes observable for us or recognizable for us. So we come up with screaming, with doing something which is recognizable to us. We could be Mike Tyson and do exact same thing because that is the desire, you know. Tyson was born in a, in a family that they needed money desperately. They were hungry all the time. And for him, the greatest thing was to be rich to a point that he doesn't have to be worried about anything. So he became the world champ and he became rich. And then there was a, there was one, this big fight that he was fighting another world champion who was down now. And in the second round, he got knocked out. The world champ who had not lost to anybody got knocked out by somebody who had already reached his height and had come down and, and had been knocked out several times even afterwards in the second round. And when they asked him, he said, I lost that desire for money. I had enough for generation after generation that, you know, they would come. So I lost it. 
And that's exactly what happens. The moment an artist loses the desire, it becomes one of those, you know, recording these singers or musicians that put the best of somebody <laughs> while they're still living. So we got to be attracted to get out of this depression. What deals with depression is work, commitment, and I don't know, there's another one that I cannot think of. <laughs> Things are better in threes, though. <laughs> work, commitment, and a mysterious third. Yeah, that takes the desire away. See, work takes the desire away. So we need to sort of keep on being desirous. In order to be desirous, you've got to be desiring mystery. You cannot desire something known because it becomes repetition. Today, I just want to walk toward this direction that I have no idea where it is. As you begin to develop that for yourself, you will get out of depression. You don't need to take any, any pills. Do you really want to do it? Just go after mystery. Today, I want to just shoot this ball in wherever the ball wants to go. But the moment I say, I want to shoot this ball, so it goes through this basket, I'm in a different world. That's why somebody like Michael Jordan could have shoot in the, in the basket with closed eyes. He didn't have to see it. He didn't have to see the basket. It was that desire which was building so well. This Latin root of desire having to do with to start. It's like you're leaving the center of something. And I think it is interesting that we come from stars, that our bodies are made of star particles that exploded. All this creativity that we exhibit here in these bodies is made from pieces of stars. So clearly, the stars have a lot of creativity in them too, since a rearrangement of the exact same particles somehow gets all this creative possibility happening. The idea of the stars leaving themselves constantly is a really interesting kind of thing to consider in terms of creativity. A constant leaving, that's a very fair definition of a star, that it's constantly leaving itself. And if a star wasn't constantly leaving itself, we wouldn't even know about it. So there's this internal chemical dance inside of the very core of it that moves and sways up and down and back and forth. And the result of those explosions are these far-flung particles in every direction at once, which I think is also really startling when you think about it, that stars aren't just pointed in one direction. They're giving themselves pretty equally. Yeah, I see it as, you know, like we get so excited to have the sun being the sun. <laughs> And has no idea where it's shining, just, just shines. Yeah. And it's so interesting because that shine is the creative process. That glow is what the desire leads us into. Yeah, I've actually been thinking about very related subject all morning. I woke up and became quite excited making things that I'm making. I'm nearly constantly in a state of excitement, as anybody who knows me well will know. And it's partly because I am constantly making things. 
I'm constantly dreaming of things. I'm constantly imagining what might be. And those are all very exciting things. And as you were speaking too, and as I was thinking about the star constantly giving itself away, constantly moving towards something, I was also thinking of the word uh, excite and how similar that word is to exit. You know, it has similar roots, which is a similar thing. There's a, a leaving of yourself, a leaving of the place that you were that's exciting. And thinking about depression and how you're speaking of depression as a, a cessation of movement, as a stopping of movement, it's almost like the star stops, you know, and as the star stops, it's it's a depression. And the way to become excited again is to leave yourself again. And so it's almost like I'm thinking about what have I been thinking about? What have I been feeling in moments where I've been in states of depression? And it's nearly always a morning of some kind. It's like in my head as I'm thinking of depression and my associations with that, I see someone, myself, in this long cloth like they used to wear when someone died. You know, there's a mourning and there's a there's a weeping and there's a, a kneeling down or a laying down with dark colors that I think is supposed to be representative of this bleeding out of letting go of an attachment of some kind. But again, to our point, it's like it's not an exiting from where you are. It's actually a staying where you are and specifically a staying in a place where something has died or something has been lost. It's almost like you're in a whirlpool of uh, some kind of a thought that keeps sucking you down, down, down. I, I heard the psychologist speak once and they said rumination is the most dangerous thing that we do. And rumination is when you're thinking about something hurtful or painful again and again and again and again and again. And, you know, that's, it's like a mother animal will die and the baby animal that doesn't understand keeps nudging the carcass, the corpse that used to be the mother and is now a corpse, which is also a whole fascinating concept. Things that were life-giving can change in certain moments and no longer be life-giving. And when that switch happens, something in us has to recognize that and be willing to leave it. And to the degree that we're still attached to that thing, which was moving and now has become a corpse, a depression enters, you know, a, a mourning and a sadness. And to get back to excitement and creativity, it has to be left. Beautifully said. Most of us see it the other way around. Instead of distorting, instead of expanding, it goes the other way, which is being more passionate about something rather than desiring something. Most of us become the needy of taking in, not the needy of expanding out. Mm. Want to devour. Dolly said that everything beautiful is edible. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to devour whatever I think is beautiful. Now, devouring everything that you think is beautiful is definitely taking you into mental constipation. Because at that point, you're not putting out anything. You're just devouring, devouring, devouring. So you become the mentally constipated beings around us who keep on telling you, thou shall not do that, thou shall do that, this is the way to do things. These are all those constipated people who've just taken in. 
I have a friend that who was here a couple of nights ago, and everything that I was saying or I was showing him, he was saying, can I have a copy of it? And I said, you know what? You've got a closet which has a limit, whatever it is. And you want to fill that closet while it's already filled. You keep on adding more to this closet. What happens? You get a closet which is full of clothes. And now you've got some new clothes. What are you going to do with it? You're going to put right in front of all of these other ones. So next time that you open the door to the closet, all you see is the one that you just picked. So all of the things that you've learned in the past is not going to help you because they're compacted back there. These beautiful dresses are not reachable anymore. So why do you want to keep on adding? Why do you want to keep on taking in? Start putting out. Start putting out. I think what I'm hearing in you, too, as you're speaking about this, is this whole idea, you know, that of course we have to take in. We have to receive. That's an important half of life. But when the receiving isn't mixed with with sending back out and giving out, what you're describing as a constipation happens. It's a broken system is what it is. It's like, imagine a vacuum cleaner that's sucking in all of the dust around it, but then whatever outtake is happening isn't working. We know when that happens because the vacuum cleaner changes the sound. It goes to a really high pitch, it's very tense, and all of a sudden everything stops. I think people live in that state. A lot of people live in that state quite frequently, and I think in some ways the culture nearly encourages that kind of state. I read recently that 3.4 billion people on the planet are clinically dealing with unhealthy levels of stress. That's astounding when you think about that because, of course, they're not counting babies and small children. So when you add in all of the rest of the people who fall into that category, it's most of the people alive on the planet right now are in unhealthy levels of stress. And our culture is largely the thing that dictates how we think and feel and see the world. It's what we're trained to do. It's possible to break out of that, but that's the largest culprit. When you look at why, what is it about the culture that's changed so much? Why are suicide and depression rates the highest that they've ever been in the entire history of people on earth at a time when we have arguably more freedom, more wealth, more health, less wars than we've ever had. I think it can kind of tie in to this thing that we're talking about, about this intake, 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 without the practiced ability to express. Because very few people are expressing things that are truly of themselves in the way that children so naturally constantly express of themselves. Almost every child who's ever been born takes the words that you teach them and puts them in a new combination that no one on earth in the history of the language has ever come up with that particular combination. And it's so cute that it makes you laugh or cry. That's what an artist does. They're taking all of these pieces that they pull in, but then they rearrange them and they express them in a new combination that's meaningful to them. And what happens as kids get older, they stop taking those risks. They stop taking those rearrangements and they just start doing copy and paste type of expression. So when you were talking about all of these 
people with this intake, 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 intake. I was thinking about Instagram, which is probably the most popular platform on the planet right now. Wildly popular. So much so that my friend was speaking to me yesterday that he hadn't seen his younger sister in four years, who's now 14. And he was shocked because when he saw her, all she could talk about the entire visit, not having seen her brother in four years, was Instagram and all of these things that were happening on it and how addicted and obsessed that the minds have become with this. And a lot of that is is intake, 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 intake. And I think in considering that, some of my favorite artists express really beautifully on Instagram. So Instagram itself is is not the problem. But I think where the problem really lies is that people have this deep judgment on themselves when they try to express. And a lot of times what happens is when you intake all of this stuff, these amazing pictures or these beautiful people on there or these great styles, then you want to try to express something. And as soon as you do, your own mind comes in and says, oh, well, that's not as good as this and that's not as good as this and that's not cool because of this. Or you do maybe try to express something and it gets not very many people paying attention, so then the mind judges that too. And I think that is really causing a problem. I think it's causing a lot of problems because one of the differences in this present culture versus a culture from 200 years ago is if nobody liked you, it was only like the 10 people that you knew that didn't like you. (laughs) And nowadays you might have 1,500 followers and you post something and 1,500 people don't like you. It feels like that. Or you look at someone else who has 2.3 million followers and you have 1,500 followers and you're like, wow, nearly 2.29 million people don't like me. There's this idea that we should be in a certain place and we're not, which has to do with judgment, that I think is really just at an epidemic level. I don't think we've ever had to deal with as much judgment as we do now. I don't ever think we've had to deal with as, as many strong voices telling us who we are and what we should be. And let alone like beautiful voices, there's an entire industry dedicated to manufacturing voices to get you to do specific things called advertising. <laughs> it's one of the biggest industries on earth. And those voices are not beautiful at all. They do not have your best interests in mind at all. And I don't think the human mind has yet developed to deal with the power of a multi-billion dollar industry like advertising, uh, let alone all of the potentially beautiful voices that are being expressed. And I think we're in a wrestling match at this stage of human expression. What do we do with all these voices? How do we decide which ones are good for us, which ones aren't? How is it okay for me, who nobody knows yet, to say something without it being smashed down instantly by the weight of these megaphone voices that are all around me. I'm beginning to see what Instagram is doing. There's two approaches that we could take. Either that we take the approach of being a part of the whole thing and increase the numbers of likes for us, or the exact opposite and say, wow, there are things that Nobody likes, and now I got this great opportunity to come up with something that nobody has ever seen before (laughs) and do something different, something outstanding. Instead of doing these regular things that they all do, why not do something different? I love it. There are things that fed through us, and there's no escape from it. We have to take in, we have to devour. We have to devour food to get energy. 
and on and on and on. But there's a difference between being selective about what you devour. Things have to be useful as you devour, not just devour to put it in the storage for later on. Devour it as you use it right now because you know that the Instagram and everything else is going to constantly give you new ideas. It's not to hang on to this idea that I like right now. Tomorrow is going to give me another idea. Why the hell do I need to keep it? For years, I was collecting all this music, so I would listen to it. And I would never listen to any of the music that I collected because I was constantly busy collecting music. Then I realized that, hey, wait a minute. That music is just for that moment. And that's it. Use it. Anything that you don't use at that moment, it becomes an obstacle. And an obstacle brings constipation. There's no escape from it. Use what is happening the way it is, but use it then at the time. Don't put it into nostalgic life of yours. It's interesting the way that this culture that we have, that we're, we're born into at this point, tells us that the more that you can accumulate, the better you're going to be, the safer you're going to be, the more important that you're going to be. But I think sometimes all that accumulation without the expression just leads to this kind of gluttonous existence that leads to immobility. Because we are mobile creatures. Our entire body is built to move. The mind is built to move. We were nomadic for many, many millions of years. And in the moving, the constant leaving, that's where joy is best found in that constant leaving. And yes, there do need to be familiars because we didn't just travel alone. We traveled inside of a tribe of people. We we, we traveled inside of a, a community. That was a familiar that was there with us. But there was still a constant leaving. There was a constant changing of, of circumstance. And I think going back to what you said earlier about work, a lot of times being something that's very triggering on, on depressions for people, it's because I don't think the human mind was designed or built to go to the same place every single day, do the same thing that it doesn't really like, that doesn't light it up, and then go back home and be so exhausted that you shovel some food into your mouth, watch some TV, and just do it all again. That's not what we're for. It's not what we're for. And I think there's just a deep cry in the human. It's like, no, this isn't for me. is that we devour completely or what we take in and it does not turn into constipation. Mm -hmm. The moment we take it in and try to fit it into our closet, fit it into what we already know, fit it into our knowledge, then it becomes an addition. But the moment that we think about, well, let's put it into some kind of a use. Let's see how I can benefit from this. How I can put it into uh, one of my paintings, or how can I put it into my writings, or discussion, or whatever it is. The moment we take those in, and we work them out to put out, we're out of 
any kind of depression, out of any kind of uh, feeling depressed or sad or anything, because we're looking forward to something. Looking forward to something Mm -hmm. is what triggers the desire. Mm -hmm. If there is no looking forward, depression is going to come. No escape from it. And this is what's happening with our society. We're just taken in, taken in because they all look so good. There's a movie for any kind of taste. There's a program for any kind of taste. Something that you can easily get into and enjoy. But do I want to enjoy everything? Yeah, I know this dance is fabulous. I know that. But it only means something when it becomes meaningful to me. If it's not meaningful, it's a waste. Our leisure time has to do with enjoying something that is meaningful and brings some kind of a result. I think what you just brought up is really, really key to this conversation, which is meaningful to me. I think that's one of the things that's so different about the present society with society of a thousand years ago is there were so many less voices telling you what was meaningful. But there are so many voices now telling you that you don't even have to really come up with any meaning at all. It's, it's, it's all supplied for us. It's not even just supplied for us. It's crammed down our throats constantly. Like coming back to advertising and really looking at what advertising is, it's literally a bunch of very well-paid, very well-funded people expressing this is meaningful, this is meaningful, this is meaningful, this is meaningful, just constantly. And so we're just inundated with all of that. And I think... I think that really is a key part is, but is it meaningful to you? Is it meaningful to you? And how do you know if it's meaningful to you? (laughs) Even that alone is a question that I think a lot of people couldn't answer that well. But you go back to children, they know exactly what's meaningful to them and what isn't because they only do things that are interesting to them. I love that example of a mother trying to feed the child broccoli or something like that. And the child, the young child, isn't just like, well, thank you, mother. I appreciate considering my nutrition right now. And I know this broccoli is very meaningful to you. So I'm going to humbly accept that. And I will open my mouth wide, you know, and swallow and chew. (laughs) No, they instantly look at the color. They discern the taste. And they're like, this is not meaningful to me. And so they don't just gently, you know, calmly, politely say no. They will literally push away the fork They will put their hand in their mouth, they will take that broccoli, and they will throw it as far from themselves as they possibly can. Then when they see that broccoli come back in for the second swoop, they'll let out this guttural cry of, No! And it's like, that's wise on an artistic level, because you're constantly practicing paying attention to, is this meaningful to me, or is this not? Is this meaningful, or is this not? But the problem comes that we have to live in society to survive. And so then at some point, there has to be certain compromises and shared agreements on what's meaningful for everybody or what's good for everybody. And I think we really get lost in that place. And so here we are at this time of society where we live with more people than we ever have in history. We have to compromise with more people than we've ever had to. A lot of that is mental, that we think that we have to compromise with all of these people. And I think that space for us and what matters to us and what's important to us has just gotten smaller and thinner to be nearly invisible to most people. And I think if I was to take creativity out of my life, if I was to take creative expression out of my life, which is 
a constant daily practice for me for I don't even know how many years it's been since I didn't create something in a day. My life would be dark and joyless and dim, and I would probably be huddled among the masses of people mourning at the carcass. More importantly, you would have probably committed suicide as many of the artists in their height have committed suicide because of exact same thing, because they reached a point that there was no attraction. There's no mystery in there anymore. They could not get into that level anymore. So they gave up. One of the most interesting works of Woody Allen to me is this movie that he made that took a Japanese movie and put an English soundtrack on it based on a story that he figured out. From the actions, he created this whole story and made that movie. Wow. It's a movie which is a Japanese movie with soundtrack which is written by Woody Allen on a Japanese movie. Has nothing to do with the actual soundtrack. That is the way to make a creative life. Yes. You're watching this Japanese movie, but your imagination yeah. is building up a story, a whole new story out of it. This is where the creative process works. If I just take in thinking that, oh, I can use it later on. No, no. Van Gogh woke up in the morning and saw that chair with his boots in there and the bed in there and started to just paint it. He did not take a picture of it. So later on, he would paint from it. And this is how we can get out of nostalgic life mm -hmm get out of this depression, get out of sadness in our life, live, live. I think one of the, the challenges that we have in these communities that we have where our, our circles of judgment of, of these other people have become so big is that we think we have to make things that please all of them. Again, going back to this difference between living in very small communities to living in very large communities, think about a child and how much joy that they get from making work and how much joy that they get from sharing that work. But who's their audience? Their mother. <laughs> and their mother almost always loves everything that they do. So it's very, very different to make something, bring it to, to this audience of one who is your entire world at that point. And the whole world says, you're wonderful, you're brilliant, you're stunning. And then you start going up into the ranks of childhood and now you have to appease a whole classroom. And then you graduate that and you, you have to be the most popular kid in the high school. And if you're not the most popular kid in the whole high school, now, now it's a big problem. Then you go on to Instagram and now you have to be the most popular person in your industry. Or it just keeps getting harder and harder and more and more impossible to please everyone. And as somebody, you know, who has had a lot of successes pleasing people, when I do please a lot of people, my mind almost always focuses on the ones that I don't. And 90% of the people could be happy and there's 10% that don't. And my mind is like, what's wrong? What did I do? Why aren't they happy? And it's like, we're, we're trying to please this mother that becomes impossible to please because now there's a thousand mothers, there's a million mothers and they all have different ideas about it. That's a really big, important part of this is we have to express constantly, just as constantly as we bring in, because if we don't, an imbalance will be created, duckness will be created that will probably slowly lead to immobility, this depressive state. So we have to be expressing, but the reason why I think we don't express as much as we should is because we think we have to express good. 
And what good means in our mind is that, that other people have to like it. And that is where we really go wrong because the expression needs to be meaningful to us, not necessarily meaningful to other people. And yes, at a certain point to be successful, you've got to bridge those two things. But you have to take swing after swing after swing after swing at something to really find something that's going to end up connecting with both you and with other people. And I think people will take a few swings, they won't connect with other people, and then they'll just stop swinging altogether. And that is a massive mistake. We have to just understand to make a light bulb, like Edison did, you've got to try about a thousand combinations of, of quote-unquote failing. And I think getting back to this place where it would be fun to do a challenge for yourself to see how few likes you could get on your next post. Exactly, exactly. How you can put a post up that you get no like whatsoever. The people leave you because of it. <laughs> that, that's perfect. Yeah. Those who leave you because of it is not what you need. Remember the word good is about quality, not quantity. We have mixed up with the word good, with the quantity constantly. There was a time that I was thinking of, I got to do these Hafez poems, I got to translate them. And I was spending my time and took a long, 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 long time. One time I was sitting on the computer and I just fell asleep. Wow. And I saw Hafez in my dream and... I said, how many of your poems should I translate? <laughs> and he said, quantity is not in the standards of creation. Wow. Quantity is not in the standards of creation. When you create, it's only one. That's the one you create. The moment you want to create the second one, mm. you're not creating anymore. Mm -mm. You're repeating. Mm -hmm. Wow. Somebody said to Stravinsky that Vivaldi composed 500 concertos. Stravinsky said, well, did he make 500 concertos or he repeated a concerto 500 times? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's where the difference is. Because repetition is not the rule of creativity. Picasso never repeated. Constantly moved forward. So the moment we repeat, it becomes work. Because work means repeating something. The moment you work in, you're vulnerable to get depressed. Because there is no attraction to the mystery. There is no moving forward. I think tying a lot of this together, something that's really important to pay attention to is joy. And that's why my entire life is dedicated to exploring joy, to understanding it more, to practicing it, to sharing it. Because to me, joy is the body feeling that you get when what you're doing, what you're experiencing, what you're seeing is meaningful to you. Because we could probably even do a whole talk just about what meaningful even means. But if we want to just say it simply, meaningful is when you're doing something that really matters to you. If it's productive, it's meaningful. Anything you do which is productive is meaningful. Now, production is not necessarily physical. 
Yes. But also the world has standards for what productivity is, you know, that's even a whole thing, which I don't necessarily agree with, you know, so it's like meaningful productivity has to do with something that's, to me, the main difference that I tell is my body will come alive. My body will say, yes. Produces energy in your body. Exactly. It will spark, it will spark its own source of energy. And that is that tiny version of the star exiting itself. So joy to me is directly related with creativity and a certain part of your mind and body produce joy, a certain part doesn't. And when you get into judgment, that part of the system just doesn't produce joy. That's not what it's for. That's why to me it's so fascinating when you say as soon as you start dealing with quantity, it's not, it's not art anymore. It's fascinating because it's a different part of your brain that measures how many of something there are than experiences how beautiful something is. It's a different part. I think that's really interesting in terms of Instagram. It's really interesting in terms of us measuring ourselves by how many followers we have, by how much money we have, by how many awards we have, by how many people watched our latest film or whatever it is. It's a different part of the mind. And I think, again, all of these voices, they invite us to compare ourselves with them. And as soon as we switch into comparative mode in the brain, you're switched out of the part of your brain in your body you know that feels joy and so my recommendation for someone that was in states of depression frequently or more than they wanted to do or in states of just non-excitement not necessarily clinical depression is take a week break off of all the voices as many of the voices as you possibly can and just start paying attention to things that make your body come alive and things that don't and i would really look at the end of the week over what kinds of things really made you feel good and interesting and and made that spark happen in you and then follow that back into the world do more of those things back into the world when you're creating you're growing into something new yeah totally and that is exactly the beginning of the movement recognition that i'm growing into something new yes i am creating something that I don't know what it is. That is so, so important and so incredibly well said because so many people on earth would not call themselves creative. And any plant ever is creative. (laughs) Every single plant that's ever existed is inherently creative every single day. You don't see a lot of depressed plants. They're joyful. They're moving. They're growing. They're vibrant. Some of them don't have enough intake of elements or whatever. They're not in the right positions. But as soon as you give them those things, they're there again. So if you are not inherently creative as a human, then you're missing out on billions of years of heritage from the very life forms that we we came from. I think what the world really needs to get back on track with some kind of a better program than the one we're working on right now is just a re-diving in, a re-exploration of creativity. And even breaking open the word creativity and forgetting everything we ever thought that it meant and making a new definition of it. And I think it's very valuable because most people think that creativity is for the artists. Right. And they they say, well, I'm not creative, so I'm out of it. Right. But as we get to recognize creativity is about expansion, about moving into an unknown territory. Yes. Whatever it is, hit the ball, but don't have a goal where you want to kick it. Just kick it and see where it goes. 
without knowing where you're going, without concentrating, then you won't be constantly comparing. If you look for something that you don't know, then you create it. And that's as simple as that. It doesn't have to be painting or playing music or anything that you would call fine arts. Creativity is that today I want to walk different than I usually do. There's a quote I really love. Don't pray that you won't have problems. Pray that you have the strength to overcome them. Beautiful. And it's such a stunning difference between those two prayers. And I think a lot of people on earth are more in the first kind of a prayer. They're in the first kind of a life, which don't give me problems, don't give me problems, don't give me problems. But once you understand that quote-unquote problems can invite you to change, to become a new person, to become a stronger person, at some point the problem leaves, but the strength stays. And yeah. the strength you can use for new endeavors. And to bring all of these to a meaningful conclusion, my suggestion would be to begin to do one creative thing a day and feel it, see the difference as you do one creative. In that moment that you're in that creative zone, the emotion that you have in that zone, the energy that you have, recognize it. And as you do that, you become more creative. I want to be more creative in the way I talk. I want to be more creative in the way I walk. I want to be more creative in the way I wear clothes. Yeah. Today, I want to wear a different. I want to do something different. Begin to do that as your daily thing, as your mantra. And at night, go back to that creative thing that you've done. Begin to Analyze it in your mind and fall asleep. You don't need any pills to put you to sleep. And you don't need any pills to be out of depression. All it is, just start doing a creative thing a day. To clarify creativity, it doesn't necessarily mean with paint or writing a sonnet or a symphony or anything like that. It's basically, it's very similar to exploration. Just doing something different than you normally do. I'm working on this online course right now for for joyful existence and I'm making these these little assignments and one of the assignments that came to me today was to uh, for one week just give yourself a new name and ask everybody who talks to to refer to you by this new name I was thinking about Sting whose actual name is Gordon <laughs> and I remember I remember somebody saying one time you know like how much balls that guy had to have at some point in his life. Because we all know him as Sting now, but imagine your name is Gordon, and someone's like, hey, Gordon, and you're like, excuse me, sir, could you please refer to me as Sting? You know, it's like, that's ballsy. And so I came up with a new name for myself this week, and it's Power Cat. So if you would just please refer to me for the next week as Power Cat, <laughs> that would be, if nothing else... Really fun. Meow. <laughs> this is my way of calling you Power Cat. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna be creative in my way too. You have an amazing accent. But what what should we call you for this next week? Meow back. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. Meow. It's been a beautiful conversation. <laughs> If you were here and you could see Rasuli right now, his entire face is gone <laughs> bright red. 
It's the epitome of joy. And it's stunning to me how simple it is. We make up new ridiculous names for ourselves. We have just entered into high states of creativity, as is evidenced by high states of emotion that the body feels when it's in the presence of creativity. It doesn't have to be fancy and award-winning. No one's going to give me an award for calling myself Power Cat. And certainly no one's going to give you an award for your meows. <laughs> Mew too. <laughs> Mew. <laughs> All right. The Wisdom of Madness is produced by Rasuli, Jesh Durox, and Elizabeth Joy Windham. Our theme music is by Nicholas Poshberg. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this podcast, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and community.